Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and I just want to thank you for joining us today. I'd like to look with you for just a few minutes at a passage of God's Word. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Acts chapter 9, if you don't have one, you can pull up one up in your phone, or uh, you can just listen along. So we're going to be reading from verses, uh, chapter 9, starting at verse 1 to verse 22. Acts chapter 9 says this, But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if, any, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings, the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off his face from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and says, Isn't this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the high priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I watch the news or read the news uh, on my mobile device, it gets kind of depressing. There's a lot of things that are broken in our world. You know, there's nearly every month there's some kind of mass shooting, senseless shooting somewhere. We hear about hurricanes, about global warming. Each year there's species that disappear from our planet as uh, we kind of invade on their land. There's a huge garbage dump between California and Hawaii that's estimated to be the size of Texas, double the size of Texas, filled with plastic. They say by 2050, there'll be more plastic in the ocean than people. There's millions of people who live in poverty. There's an increasing polarization in our culture and an increasing intolerance towards believers. Mental issues are very prevalent. The rate of suicide has increased exponentially, especially since 2006. And where we fall on the political spectrum, whether we're on the left or we're on the right, maybe we have different answers for how we try to fix those issues. 
But I think most of us can agree that something has to change. The Pew Forum did a poll earlier this year, and they found that 7 out of 10 Americans were dissatisfied with the direction the country was headed. And we see all of these things happening, and it can be a little bit depressing. We can get a little bit cynical, and we can start to believe that things are the way they are, and nothing will ever change. But it's not just on the societal level, it's also on the personal level. 50% of marriages will end in divorce. 27% of children will grow up in single-family households. One in four women will be abused by a domestic partner at some point in their life. Nearly 50% of Americans will struggle with mental illness at some point in their life. Millions in our country, and even more so throughout the world, struggle to put food on the table. It's an increasing number of people who struggle with drug and alcohol abuse. Even though we're connected today by uh, social media and our devices, there's this increasing sense of loneliness. Loneliness is pandemic, and we feel more disconnected from people, uh, even though we have all these devices and things that should bring us closer together. And some of us have tried solutions to fix these problems. We've tried to cure our loneliness. We've tried to fix our addiction, but we've failed, and we've started to lose hope that things could ever change. Well, the passage that we're looking at today gives hope to anyone who's ever wondered if change was possible. In this passage, we encounter a man by the name of Saul, who later his name is changed to Paul. Saul is a man who's very violent, explosive. It says in this text that he's breathing threats and violence against God's people. Just as an aside, it sounds a little bit like our culture today. We can no longer disagree with one another. We have to vilify the other person and show contempt towards them. But not only does he threaten Christians, he backs this up with action. He's at the execution of Stephen. We see that in this passage, he's gone to the high priest to request a letter to give to the synagogues in Damascus so he can gather up all the Christians and throw them in prison. If there was ever a man who was set in his ways, it was Saul. Well, this past week, I had a big fight with a little drop of paint. You see, I had painted uh, part of the church a few months ago, and I had used this special paint called urethane paint. And there was this little drop of paint that was on the stones in front of the church, and I had to power wash the church for a different reason. So I thought, I'll just power wash and get that little spot off. And I go and I power wash it, nothing happens. So then I get this spray that's supposed to take off paint and goo and stuff. And I spray it on there. Nothing happens. Power wash it again. I think, well, I have to leave it soak a little bit longer. Spray it on there. Let it soak. Power wash it. Nothing. Kept doing this over and over again. Then I got out a wire brush. And I'm, I'm scrubbing it. It wasn't really taking it off. It was just kind of polishing it up. Then I thought I'd get some sandpaper out. Get some sandpaper out, put some mineral spirits on it, start to sand it off, and the sandpaper broke before the paint came off. It was so hardened and so stuck, no matter what I did, I couldn't get it off. And sometimes we'll encounter people like that in our life. They have this hardened exterior. They're so hardened to the things of God that you share your faith with them, you show love to them, and they just meet it with rejection. Some of us, maybe we are those people. You know, because of things that have happened in our lives, maybe we've had a hard lot in life, and we think to ourselves, 
God, there's no way that God could allow these things to happen to me. And so we're closed off to the possibility that anything could change or that God could be real. Or maybe we think to ourselves, I've got a lot of time. I'm young and I'll figure out what's going to happen later uh, in the future. But the truth is, we all need to change. We all are broken. The Apostle Paul was set in his ways. It says in the book of Philippians that he had this heritage in Judaism. It says in Philippians 3, 4 to 6, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. See, Paul is so set in his ways that he believes he's doing God a favor by persecuting and killing Christians. And yet all of that's going to change in a moment. He's heading down the road to Damascus and a light shines around him. The light is so powerful that immediately when he sees the light, he hits the dirt and he's on his knees. But he can't see. He gets up. He's blinded by that light. His friends take him into Damascus. And it says in the text that he didn't eat for three days or drink anything. He fasted for three days because he was so perturbed by what had happened. In the meantime, God is calling one of his disciples named Ananias to go to Paul and to preach the gospel to him, to lay his hands on him so that he'll be healed and that he would receive God's spirit. And he reluctantly goes. Then Saul is baptized, receives the Holy Spirit, and he's transformed in a moment. One day he's on the road to gather up Christians, to persecute them, throw them in prison. The next he is following Jesus and preaching Jesus. And people are amazed by it. They're like, wasn't this the guy who was just trying to kill Christians, throw them in prison? Isn't this the guy that was at Stephen's execution? And yet he's not the same person anymore. The question I'd like for us to consider briefly today is, Do you believe that that kind of change is still possible today? Because I think sometimes we can grow a little bit cynical with all the negative things that happen in our life, and we can get to a place where we don't believe that change is possible anymore. Brent Curtis and John Eldridge in their book Sacred Romance say this, If I'm not abiding in Jesus, then where is it that I abide? I once asked myself, I began to notice that when I was tired or anxious, there were certain sentences I would say in my head, That led me to a familiar place. The journey to this place would often start with me walking around disturbed, feeling as if there was something deep inside that I needed to put into words, but couldn't quite capture. I felt the something as anxiety, loneliness, and a need for connection with someone. If no connection came, I would start to say things like, life really stinks. Why is it always so hard? It's never going to change. If no one noticed I was struggling or asked me what was wrong, I found sentences shifting to a more cynical level. Who cares? Life is a joke. Surprisingly, by the time I was saying those last sentences, I was feeling better. The anxiety was greatly diminished. He says, My comforter, my abiding place, was cynicism and rebellion. From this abiding place, I would feel free to use some some soul cocaine. Watching a violent video, maybe a little sexual titillation thrown in, having more alcohol with a meal than I might normally drink, things that would allow me to feel better for a little while. I had always thought of these things as just bad habits. I began to see that they were much more. 
They were spiritual abiding places that were my comforters and friends in a very spiritual way. See, I think there's three lies that we believe in regards to change. The first lie we believe is we believe that we can't change sometimes. And specifically, this happens when we've tried to change. We've tried to kick that habit. We've tried to improve our marriage. We've tried to deal with that unforgiveness. And maybe we've experienced some success for a while, but we go right back to it after a while. And we experience those things, and sometimes we lose hope that we really can change. Well, the truth is, the Apostle Paul, Saul, also experienced those things. In Romans chapter 7, which was written, I believe, after he became a believer in Jesus, he said this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it better. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of the sin that dwells in my members. So Paul explains he has struggled with sin. He has this difficulty. He wants to do the right things, but he keeps struggling and keeps messing up. And he goes on to proclaim the hope that is found in Jesus, that there is forgiveness, and that when we live life in the Spirit of God, we can have victory over sin. I think another part of the reason we believe we can't change is that we believe that sometimes that change has to be instantaneous and complete. When my wife Stephanie and I got married, uh, we had a different kind of relationship with alarm clocks. See, when I set my alarm clock, I would set my alarm for the time that I had to get up. And as soon as the alarm would go off, I would get up. Within a minute or two, I was getting ready to go. See, Stephanie, when she would set an alarm clock, she would set it for maybe a half hour before she actually had to get up. Amen. <laughs> By the way, I've changed since then. But she would set it, set, it, set it for half hour before she was going to get up, and then it would go off, and she would maybe stretch, roll over, hit the snooze, and maybe that would happen a few times, and eventually she would get up. Spiritually speaking, sometimes I think people change in a dramatic fashion. The Apostle Paul, he's going one way. He's persecuting Christians, killing Christians. He's transformed. His life is completely different. And I've heard stories of people who, you know, maybe were addicted to drugs and, and other things. And God got a hold of their life and they were completely transformed. Never struggled with those things again. Sometimes that happens, but oftentimes there's a struggle. Oftentimes, God starts to change us, and we're like three steps forward, two steps back. Four steps forward, one step back. And we're going in the right direction. God is changing us, but it's not that instantaneous, complete transformation that sometimes we expect. And so sometimes we feel like we're not capable of changing, that God isn't really working in our lives. Another thing we need to realize is that change often happens in the context of community. We see in this passage that... Uh, Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's something between him and God. But immediately after that, he sends Ananias to minister to him, to encourage him, and to be a witness of the work that God has done in his life. And after that, it says in the text that he stayed with the other Christians, the brothers in Damascus, for some time. The truth is, God made us to live in relationship with one another. 
And if we're living lives on our own, it's very hard to change. It's not to say it's not possible, but God has put other people in our lives, other believers, to challenge us, to hold us accountable, to make us into the people God wants us to be. Sometimes we believe that God, we really can't change. So that's the first lie that we sometimes believe. Next lie we believe is sometimes we believe that other people can't change. This happens oftentimes when we have invested in other people, given of our resources, of our time, and they let us down. Maybe they take advantage of us. I remember when I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, I was driving down the road and I saw this uh, homeless person in the median in between this, uh, the streets. And I stopped by and I asked him, you know, if I could get him a hot dog or a drink. So I went to uh, this um, shop next door, got him a hot dog and a drink. And he's like, can, can you get me some money for some socks? And I didn't want to give him cash, so I called this homeless shelter and uh, started talking to them, and they were going to give me a gift card to give him for a thrift shop. So I went and told him, I was like, if I go and get this gift card, it's you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes away, are you going to be here when I get back? He's like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll be here. That'd be great. So I go there, drive, you know, follow GPS, place I wasn't really familiar with, get the gift card, come back, and he's gone. He's left the drink right there. You know, and things happen like that, and it's easy to get cynical. It's easy to think, well, I might as well not help anyone because they're going to just take advantage of me. It's easy to think that people are just going to stay the way that they are and not change. But if God could change the Apostle Paul, then he could change anyone. And we can't just give up on people because Jesus didn't give up on us. He could say the same thing about us, that we've taken advantage of him that we've failed too many times, but He keeps fighting for us. And so we need to keep fighting for other people. So we believe sometimes we can't change. We believe that other people can't change. Finally, we believe sometimes that culture can't change. Many of us would agree that culture is going down a kind of a dark path. And maybe we feel helpless because a lot of the things that are happening in the world are things that we can't directly control. And we talk sometimes about how bad the world is and we can get cynical. But I'd like to share something with you. When we think about our culture and our world, if you would compare it to the Apostle Paul's day, there is no comparison. The Apostle Paul's day, there were prostitutes that lived in the temples, that you could go to a temple for prostitutes. It was expected that people would have uh, relations with people other than their spouse. That was just a normal part of life. There was pornography that was rampant in the Roman Empire. Homosexuality was very popular. There was intense persecution. People would go to coliseums to watch people fight and brutalize one another for entertainment. Fighting to the death. And we think about that culture and how bad it was, even compared to our culture. And the miraculous thing is that God changed that culture. 320 A.D., the Roman emperor got their first Christian emperor. Later, in 380 A.D., Theodosius established Christianity as the official religion of the Roman emperor and banned people from going to pagan temples. Now, in that, I'm not saying that everything that happened with that was good. Constantine did some really bad things. 
All I'm saying in that is that culture changed and it changed relatively quickly. And the truth is we can't change everything that's happening in our culture, but we can change the culture of our families. We can change the environment that our children grow up in. We can change the environment of our communities. That we can choose to show love to those around us and be life-giving forces to those around us. And we can pray that God would change our culture. Because if He changed Paul, if He changed the Roman emperor, He can change anything. We can change, other people can change, culture can change. But it only happens when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Meeting Jesus changes everything. Meeting Jesus changes everything. There's a number of images or pictures throughout history that have had a very profound effect and have shaped public opinion. One of those pictures uh, happened was taken in 1963. 1963, most people in America didn't even know where Vietnam was. A man named Malcolm Brown went to Vietnam and he took a picture of a monk who was lighting himself on fire in protest of the way that the regime was, t- was treating them. After that, it transformed how Americans viewed Vietnam and how they viewed U.S. policy related to Vietnam. President Kennedy later commented, no news picture in history has generated so much emotion around the world as that one. 1993, a man named Kevin Carter went to Sudan to uh, chronicle the, the famine that was in Sudan. And he took a picture, a very gruesome, hard-to-see picture of a young girl who was on her way to a UN relief camp, but she was starving to death. And you may have seen this picture before. There's a vulture that's standing behind her, just right, waiting for her to die. This image had such a profound effect on Americans and people around the world who started to see the faces of this famine. That wasn't just something that was happening over there, that it was a real-life crisis. It had such an effect on Kevin Carter that he ended up taking his life after seeing that image and other images. Then there's the image of Tank Man. You may have seen this image. It was taken by a man named Jeff Widener a day after the Tiananmen Square massacre. And in this picture, there's three tanks that are going, that are lined up, and there's one man that's just standing in front of that tank, refusing to move. It came to symbolize the fight for freedom and the lonely struggle for democracy. Then there's the picture of a man falling from the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001, symbolizing the tragedy of that day. Then there's a picture of Buzz Aldrin on the moon for the first time. There's a picture of the earth from moon. There's a picture of soldiers raising up the American flag over Hiroshima together in triumph. There's a picture of an American soldier returning to Times Square and embracing a young woman as he returned from World War II. These are pictures that have changed the world. Pictures that inspire. Pictures that challenge. And there's one final picture that's changed the world. It's a picture of a man hanging on the cross outside the gates of Jerusalem. There's nails in his hands. There's a crown of thorns embedded in his head. Blood is flowing down from him. His face is beyond recognition. And in his final breaths, he cries out, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, when we get a 
clear picture of Jesus, it changes everything. And the clearest picture of Jesus that we get is the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's loved us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, to pay our penalty. Oftentimes we think about relationships, our relationship with God and we think that God wants to condemn us. God doesn't want to condemn us. He sent Jesus so He wouldn't have to. Because the truth is, we are all broken. And we can't change on our own. But He sent His Son so that things could be different. So that whoever would come to Him could experience eternal life. Life that begins now and goes into eternity. That's what the Apostle Paul experienced. That's what he experienced on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus, the risen Lord, who said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he realized the direction of his life was wrong. The Bible calls that repentance. He turned from the direction he was going and he put his faith in Christ. And he was no longer opposing Christians. Now he was following after the risen Christ and proclaiming him. And if you're here today, you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would encourage you. It's the best relationship you could ever have. It's the only way that we can truly change from the inside out. Meeting Jesus changes everything. So two questions I'd like to leave you with. Number one, have you met Jesus today? Number two, if you've met Jesus, do you truly believe that He still can change you? Do you truly believe that He can transform you? Do you truly believe that He can transform other people? And do you truly believe that He can transform our culture? Let's pray together. If you're here today, you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you know something has to change, you're just not sure what you'd like to enter into a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to Pray a prayer with me. It's not a magical prayer. It's just an expression of your heart. Words don't have to be exactly the same. But say something like this to God in your heart. Say, God, I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm a sinner. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. To take my penalty. To take my punishment. God, come into my life and change me. I don't want to live life on my own any longer. I want to follow after you. God, we pray for anyone here who prayed that prayer. God, I pray that they would have the courage to reach out to brother or sister in Christ who would be able to encourage them and help them in their journey of faith. Lord, for those of us who are believers, Lord, I pray that we would always have faith to believe that you can change us. That there's nothing we can that we're facing in our lives that's beyond the scope of your power. That if you raise Jesus from the dead, you can handle the problems in our lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get cynical in believing that other people can't change. That we would share your love and your grace to those around us. And Lord, we pray for our culture, our country. Lord, I pray that we would believe that you can change our country. You can change our community. You can change our family. Lord, we love we love you. We thank you for all that you're going to do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.